Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. The last time I covered an overview of France and Richelieu to make people more aware of the context of the new member of the Thirty Years' War, and I wanted to add that France had been on and off again at war with Spain since the mid-1620s or so. Not that they weren't feuding before, but they had been actively in conflict with Spain for a while. This war would go beyond the Thirty Years' War, but we're only focusing on this aspect of it in this podcast, so this just goes to show how the Thirty Years' War was more of a ball of conflicts than one big one inherently. But with that out of the way, let's get started. With the princes of the HRE piecing out in relation to the loss of Northern Guinea, which I will be covering soon, France and Spain now moved closer to war. Though France didn't intend to join the war, in Germany at the very least, it was inexplicably drawn to it. Sweden was now isolated in Northern Germany, though it still hadn't fully gone away as a threat, although it was weakened compared to before. The Spanish, in increasing conflict with the French, tried to act like an innocent victim of the two, as was shown by their dealings with the brother of the French king in 1634. You know, the whole, uh, what's his name? Gaston? Gaston of Orléans? Yeah, his whole thing, and that resolved that Spain was playing politics even if they didn't want to admit it. The main reason Olivares actually pushed for war was actually to maintain his importance as the Spanish king, and the council, well, that voted on many matters in Spain, had happened to vote against the war with France in April of 1634. The Treaty of Edersdorf was negotiated between Spain and the Austrians by October 31st, 1634, which was based around upholding the stability of the empire and benefiting the Habsburg dynasty as a whole. There were secret articles about reciprocal support by the empire to support Spain in the war against the Dutch using the logic the Netherlands were part of the empire, which is based on a period when Spain and the HRE were ruled by Charles V, which we did cover in the Habsburg episode, I believe. Or at least, like, the name and the guy. This agreement was only kept Austria, specifically, as trying to get the other princes involved would be more complex than it was worth, as each of those princes had the right to say no, technically, and the Austrian Empire can only do so much to call upon them if they didn't want to go. However, Austria and Spain had different ideas on what this would entail, Spain thinking of military support, and Austria letting Spain recruit more German soldiers to resupply and rebuild their armies. So this was a sore point as there was two fundamental different ideas about what this meant to each side. As dynasties aren't always cooperative. But Austrian support was directed towards the Dutch in light ways as they were focused on the Dutch over the French who were not as big a threat or at least not as involved as say the Dutch and the Spanish. The Imperials, which is Austria, only occupied Flanders which was an active threat to the Netherlands as it was an invasion point for them potentially. Imperial measures against France were mainly focused against repulsing them from claimed imperial territory like Speer and internal German territory, not necessarily conquering France. That was not their goal, because that would be a full-on war and the Emperor didn't want that. And even the gathering of troops in Flanders was to act as a threat to get the Dutch to agree to an honorable peace with Spain. Spain tiring of the long war as much as the many of the Dutch were as a peace party was a majority, which is not important for our podcast, but Frederick Henry wasn't exactly the majority ruler, at least in terms of like the parties and representatives of that country. HRE, however, did remain aggressive towards the French, and the French couldn't afford to lose the Swedes or the Dutch. Well, more specifically, France couldn't afford either of those two to lose their wars. So their involvement was necessary to keep supporting both wars, which wasn't cheap in men and money, which goes along with the point I made in the French last episode. Well, France, which was, you know, it was expensive, constantly maintaining wars. France was also getting challenged in Germany along the Upper Rhine, which was deteriorating, and they would be challenged in Trier, and I will cover the Upper Rhine situation next week, or not next week, but next episode, so be looking forward to that. 
With Feria failing to capture Alsace, Olivar told the governor of Luxembourg to evict the French at Trier. The local canons, cooperating with him out of a worry of Richelieu being named as the elector Sauternes Adjutor. Adjudicator Adjutor. That was, it was a weird word when I read it. The French and Sautern were surprised on March 26th when Sautern was captured as the canons took over the government of Trier. Olivares didn't actually order the capture of the elector. It was just a decision made as it was becoming apparent there would be an open war with France. It was kind of gone that way. This was also a way to open up the new way into the Netherlands, which would be a new route the Spanish could take and the Imperials and all that could do- use. So once again, politics is complex. Everyone's fighting. They're not technically at war. You know, the usual. But France was also quickly pushed forward in their own aggressiveness. The Richelieu avoided pushing too quickly through 1634. The Dutch were politically divided, like I stated before. Frederick Henry going around formal institutions using the French bribes to keep the war going in the face of a majority peace party. The Dutch and the French were planning a campaign against the Spanish Netherlands with the condition that the land declared independence no more than three months after the invasion started or to be partitioned by the Dutch Republic in France. It was... A rather harsh term, but in this war, in these wars, you understand why they're doing this. It was certainly an ambitious plan, and it could have worked, with 30,000 troops between two sides, but not all plans have contact with the enemy. But this whole plan was, well, disrupted when Sautern was arrested, forcing Richelieu to act against a potential humiliation as he was a significant leader in France's foreign policy from Germany, the leader being Sautern. Obviously, Richelieu was significant in France. France hastily declared war under Louis XIII by April 5th, while Richelieu sent demands for Sautern's release to establish France as leading a just cause in the war, as it would make Spain look like tyrants. It's a very smart political move, as being on your high horse is good at getting the international support and making you look just, even if that's not your motivation. There's a reason why, historically, Europeans in a lot of other countries, you tended to want to have a reason to go to war. Just attacking someone made you look bad. And a warmonger. Granted, realistically, yeah, it's not always that way, but it's the principle of the matter, at least, for those countries. It's basically a, the gods have justified our war. God, gods, whatever culture it is. And a manifesto penned by Father Joseph avoided criticizing the emperor for that very reason, as it would it would make it look personal, and that there was a more political and selfish reasoning behind it. Harold actually wrote to Brussels to give the message, but was refused by Fernando, so he just pinned it to a border post and left, which is really funny, because I just want to imagine that guy who's like, oh, oh, I guess we're at war now, huh? Not that it was a surprise by anybody. But despite the pretenses of war, the French army was not ready, and at least some of the issues they were into came about due to the lack of experience recently they'd had with military affairs. The French were stated to have around 120 to 150,000 men, but it was more likely they had around 50,000 at the end of 1634, 75,000 in 1635, and 90,000 in 1636. The army and officers were unseasoned, and while they were military power in Europe, they had not been involved in large-scale conflicts for decades, especially an intense one like the Thirty Years' War. And the quote here defines exactly what the situation with the French was. And quote, The opening of the campaign and everything appeared difficult to the troops, and even to the officers, who had lived softly for too long. The cavalry was not used to pitching camp and did it clumsily. The army regarded as a prodigy to have passed four or five days without bread, and their attitude produced an almost general sedition. So, as you can tell by that quote, uh, the army was not in good shape and really wasn't ready for long-term campaigning, unlike all the other armies who had been doing it for years at this point. And the Swedes at least had a professional army who was ready to do this when they invaded. And France was also having money troubles, like usual and everybody else. 
as they were having issues paying and supporting their own men in their own territory. In Germany, it was easier due to, you know, being able to loot and take advantage of the locals for money, which, you know, being local in this war sucks. I have made that very clear. But they were also burdened by the fact that they were having to support Sweden, the Dutch, and other small allies. So money was becoming an issue as it was more and more widespread, or spread thin, better way to phrase it. It's easier to support a war on the outside when you're not involved in it, but once you get in it, you have to not only pay for your troops, but you have to pay for everybody else's. The French were raising more money yearly, but that was probably due to the need to support the war, along with inflation hitting them, which was a very universal topic of their history. Inflation just hits everyone, even if you go back to old coinage. And with a rising amount of money meant more military expenditures, and that rose rapidly, causing the need to raise taxes, which put a harsher burden on the common people of France, as the nobility and clergy paid little to no taxes. Once again, the nobility kind of didn't pay in France. It was one of their rights that they really did not want to give up. The cost of the war in 1640 was 38 million livres per year. And that's a lot of money, especially in context, since the HRE took around 20 million in debt just in the initial years of the war, you know, with the whole defenestration. That was double that for France. I can imagine the others were much better at this point, especially the Habsburgs who were mostly bleeding money at this point. And all their loans, which are probably having to come due at some point. This incited major revolts in France due to the hardship, which was also readily apparent across Germany and all the numerous peasant revolts I talked about. So, yeah, people didn't like getting overly taxed. And the French system was really not meant to support this scale of military at this point. As it had issues in peacetime as well. France was always overspending, so loans were always needed to pay for the amount of money they were spending. So now even more loans were needed, and a good 50% of that money went to private hands, which was Cardinal Richelieu not reporting it to the government office, or the auditing office. It was justified under the logic of it being for national security, like what will happen in the lead up to the French Revolution. It was done to hide the sheer scale of the issue with the money the monarchy was borrowing and using. 700 million livres were, was raised between 1620 and 1644 in France at the cost of 172 million on France's part, which in today's money is around 21 billion dollars. Which, that's a lot of money. It put a lot on the economy, and taxation became a tool of thuggish financiers who didn't really care who got affected with their greed. Richelieu tried to curb the worst of the abuses, but the worst stymied any reforms. The current tax system was two centuries old, and like it's very common, those invested in the system saw very little need to change or reform the system on top of any general fear at changing any major systems, especially once you get nobility involved and titles. You can see how an old, clunky system is not going to do well with a large scale of war like the Thirty Years' War. I'm not political, but old systems not being able to be reformed because the people who were using it and who liked it refused to, well, let it change it is not new, and it goes back way before this. The system technically worked. Richelieu's people in charge keeping it from being too, too bad, as he wanted it to run efficiently, even if it was a bit of uh, dirty, hand-changing money sort of situation. There was corruption in the commoners did suffer, but France kept money flowing and paid their men on time, maintaining their navy, and avoided issues with mutiny among their men, so you can at least give them credit that they, you know, weren't too awful about it, and they were still keeping their men paid. The army was ill-disciplined, and which I'll cover next week more, but it wasn't rebelling against the government, so that was always good. So France was technically stable, politically and economically, but they definitely had kinks they needed to work out to fully become a power to fight against the others. They'd have to be tested on the battlefield in the war room, so we'll see how that goes as they start clashing more and more. But next week, we move on to the Habsburgs and their own military plans, as well as the Allies that were called in to support them, now that Germany was more under their control. I want to thank you all for listening, 
and for keeping me coming back to work on this. Social media links will be in the description box or on the links themselves. You can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Or run to that of Patreon and thanks for the support me. Interview and spread the word. And I'll see you guys next time. <laughs>